Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. It is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. After a couple of days of Brian, no, you get just as much of a professional sounding voice with me filling in alongside Jimmy Cook. It is Greg Rakestraw. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, normally when I do a show, I get right into it in terms of, hey, here's the guest list. Here are the topics and I will get there eventually. But I actually wanted to start the show today by the way that I got to largely finish my day yesterday. You know, I think there's very little from a sports statement. As I say it out loud, I think of like four or five places that I have not been. And maybe without even firing a synapse thinking about it before the show started, I may have just stumbled into like a show topic for the show today, which I'm not sure I need. I got like five guests lined up on the program today. But I open up the program by talking about a destination in terms of sports or a sports venue or a sports thing, in this case, a museum that I had never been to until yesterday. And I thought it was important to go because I'm like now on the board of it. And so it's probably important to like be there and stuff and attend a board meeting. So if you follow me on social media, uh, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, And kind of in the Twitter meltdown of a couple of Saturdays ago, I went ahead and panicked and joined on threads, which then made me get more active on Instagram. So I'm on those two places now there as well. Uh, But since, you know, Twitter hasn't limited the number of of tweets that I can read in the last eight or nine days, I probably haven't been as much on threads, you know, since that one weekend in early July. But yesterday I went to the Milan Museum. I spent part of my afternoon and my evening in Milan, a place that I have been before with what I do with the ISC Sports Network. There was a time where I would do a handful of games in southeastern Indiana for our partner company down there, uh, which at the time was enhanced telecommunications. Now is, is Great Plains Communications. And so I've actually done a basketball game from Milan on a softball game from Milan. I've seen the Milan Indians uh, in terms of of their football team and a couple of games of theirs over the years. In fact, I was in the call, this was at Batesville, of Milan winning the Ripley County Tournament for the first time, I think in 60 years, either in 2019, 2020, one of those two. Well, anyway, um, I had been to the community of Milan. I had never been like to the old school downtown off of what would be State Road 101. And... I walk in to the building, and it is mesmerizing the amount of Milan Indians memorabilia from 1954 and since that time, and the amount of Hoosiers memorabilia that is there. Now, obviously, there is also a great amount of Hoosiers-related things at the Hoosier gym in Knightstown, and 10-year-old me is loving my life right now. Because I was basically just shy of my 10th birthday when the movie Hoosiers came out in 1986. And I remember telling a buddy of mine, the late Bob Garner, when they had a... In fact, I was having this conversation literally like two rooms down from where I'm sitting right now. This is in my days of having an office 
here at MS Communications, now Urban One. And there was a 30th reunion uh, banquet for the movie Hoosiers in September of 2016. And I was asked to MC it, and I had it, I, I, I had to turn it down because I had an Indy 11 game that night. And I said, 10-year-old me is going to kick my ass later today, by the way, just so you know, I am so sorry I can't host this banquet for you. But now I get to do an all-star game every year from the Hoosier gym, and I'm on the board of the Milan Museum, so I get to take this amazing walk down memory lane yesterday. So I wanted to share with you, A, there's some events that are coming up with that, and they're going to have a big 70th anniversary celebration in March, the same weekend as when the NCAA tournament will be here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. There'll be more details coming out about that over the next few weeks and months, but a huge 70th anniversary celebration for the town and the team that then basically made the movie Hoosiers possible. So there's that. Um, But secondarily, I mean, there are things, and and I think if you're familiar with my work, you have an idea of my ability just to pull random factoids and memories somewhat instantaneously. We all have our gifts in life. Um, Much as Ron Howard's brother said in the movie Waterboy, I am not a handsome man. Maybe that's not my gift. But I have the gift of, of, of a photographic memory. And I can put things sequentially and kind of have what I would call a contextual memory. Like I often remember things because I, I know what I was doing that day or know what I was doing on a calendar or know like the, the order of how things would fit in. So I walked in and there's all kind of stuff on the, on the ground floor. Um, but as I kind of look up towards the top of each side... I see this wall of jerseys, clearly movie Hoosiers, and some of them that I remember, and others that I don't. And I go, did that appear in the movie? Like there are certain teams, like the opponents in which they played, which tend to be seared into your brain. Like the jersey that says Bears, well, that's South Bend Central. Okay, that's the team that they then played in the fictional championship game in 1952. There was the green and gold that was Cedar Knob. That was St. Philip Neary, uh, where that was filmed, just on the east side. I'm, for those of you watching, hello, uh, as I point toward the east side of downtown, it's like right over there where that was filmed. I remember that. I remember the I remember the Hornets um, shirts. I remember the, uh, like, there was, like, red and black Panthers. That had to be, like, a nod to Knightstown, right, is, is why you, you would have that. But I'm seeing like jerseys that I don't recall seeing in the actual movie. And Susan, who is kind of the museum director, the curator, I guess, at this point, points out to me there were 14 different teams that actually appeared in the movie Hoosiers that were not the Hickory Huskers. So now I've got like a reason to go back and watch Hoosiers for like the 9,000th time, see if I can keep track of all of them over the years. So I'm like, all right. Part of the reason why an organization like that has me on the board is because I have platforms like this to talk about it off the top of the show, but then to also share, you know, these things on Twitter and the conversation that has been going on on Facebook and on social media about that has warmed my heart over the course of the last, say, 18 hours. So if there is a 
sports destination. In other words, I'm thinking about doing this as almost like a side hustle because let's face it, you know, I've already got like 26 side hustles. Why not have a 27th, right? But what I'm doing right now is kind of a side hustle because the full-time job is what I do with the ISC Sports Network. And thankfully, a lot of those things are often intertwined, right? And kind of make all the jigsaw pieces of my life fit together. But I'm thinking about this. Perhaps I should be like, like offer like these tours. Like maybe I could like recreate the Hickory Husker bus, like modernize it, you know, basically make it like kind of a, 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 a small RV, you know, where you can enjoy a beverage, you know, watch something on a, you know, 75 inch t- TV, uh, whatever the case may be, but like do some sort of like tour where I simply go, all right, we're going to take you to Hinkle Field House. Um, maybe we take you to Assembly Hall. Um, but we're going to take you to Newcastle. We're going to take you to the great high school gyms. We're going to take you to the Hoosier Gym, Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, Milan Museum. If for some reason I run out of things to do, which I don't think that's going to be the case for a while, but maybe that's what I do. I just drive the Hickory School Bus around, and I take you to these great basketball and sports destinations in the state of Indiana. It makes me realize how unbelievably lucky I am to do what I do for a living and live in the place where I live because there is so much both access and appreciation to the history from a sports standpoint of how we got here. I could sit here and just rattle off different things that were in that museum, but the other thing that I thought was so beyond cool and I kind of stumbled on it myself. And then one of another board members then kind of walked me to it to say, hey, I'll make sure you saw this. Because not everything is kind of in a main room. There's kind of some some side hallways. It's an old school bank that that museum is in. There's a big old vault that you look at right as you walk in, which again just, just adds the overall coolness of the place. But as I walk to a back hallway, I see what is the 1954 IHSAA State Tournament bracket and we are all familiar with filling out our field of 68 or our field of 64 as it's been for the last part of the uh, of the last four decades but those are usually you know we do now do them online maybe you would you would you would you know make a copy of of the bracket that was in like your local, local newspaper back in the day and that was the bracket that you had the paper bracket that you filled out and you kept a track of your tournament for your family bracket office pool whatever the case may be well, I remember doing this when I was in college, knowing this was probably gonna be one of the last single class tournaments. And a couple of buddies, you know, a couple of buddies are were like, hey, we can actually study. Nah, let's write out a let's write out a full bracket for the IHSAA state tournament. You know, we're not gonna do this in terms of like one big poster, but let's do a poster board for each semi-state. Cause at that time there would have been about ninety-six or so schools. In each of those semi-states, because it was during the period where we all had six team sections the last six years where we went to class basketball and class sports in general uh, for the 97-98 school year. And I'm like, this is a lot of work. Uh, This is like 300 schools. Well, some student at Purdue at the time, and I'm sure he's not the only one that ever did this. I'm sure others did it. Just happened to be the one that is on display at this museum. But there was a gentleman that put together the bracket of the over 700 schools that participated in the IHSAA state tournament. I would guesstimate the size of this piece of paper 
was approximately 12 feet long. Because you're talking about 64 sectionals that for the most part, if you just do the math, you're averaging 12 to 13 teams a sectional. Uh, the sectional of my hometown played, I think, was 14, maybe it was 13 back in the day. And I've seen programs all of fame and, and what people post on the Indiana High School Basketball Fans Facebook page and 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 witness that as well. But apparently what I did is instinctive to anybody that walks by that and sees it. You find your high school. You find your hometown. And obviously there's been a great deal of, of consolidation because we have gone from 700 member schools that play in the tournament to somewhere in the upper half of 300 schools that play in the tournament. And now that number is about 410 that play in four separate class basketball tournaments. But luckily, my hometown, it's a little one township school, as it has been all those years ago. And while the mighty Lanesville Eagles 70 years ago did not win the state tournament, they didn't win a sectional. We never won a boys basketball sectional in the single class era. Um, we at least went two and one in the state tournament. Then we got wins over Morgan Township and English before those New Albany Bulldogs ended our tournament run back in March of 1954. So it was so cool to to at a time where I've got a little bit of space in time to kind of catch my breath a little bit. Not surprising, I was recharged by a trip down memory lane to talk a little high school hoops. So. At some point in time in the show today, maybe not this segment, but later if given the opportunity, maybe I'll just kind of just, you know, vamp and and talk about here are the cool places in terms of, of not just high school sports, but Indiana sports that I have yet to attend a game at or, ye- or, or yet to see something in person there. Like, for example, I've been fortunate enough to do a basketball game at what would be the Joy Center, now Purcell Pavilion, um, but I've never been to a Notre Dame football game in South Bend. Jimmy Cook immediately sounds like he's weak in the knees. You've got to. How many Irish games have you been to? Probably 14. Okay. And again, you got to remember, I grew up in the southern part of the state. Sure, that's right? fair. And now, but at the same time, I am of the age where most people would say, who are your favorite teams? Well, in the fall, it's Notre Dame. In the, in the winter, it's Indiana University. <laughs> We have kind of now aged past of past that. Notre Dame, at least from an Indiana standpoint, tends to be much more of a northern thing or potentially a Catholic thing, of which obviously you qualify right being, a, being the voice of the Ron Colley Royals, being a very proud Ron Colley alum. Uh, and usually on Saturdays, I'm a little bit busy, but I'll acknowledge that's a weak spot for me. I have never been to a Notre Dame football game. They can say all they want about the program being overrated. They can say all they want about the fan base being entitled. It's it is still just a big as good as deal. any stadium still, in college football. It's it's still a living piece of history. Okay, so I, I acknowledge that. No matter what you think of the program these days, which I think is probably somewhere in the ten to twenty range in terms of programs of national importance, and that's still pretty damn good. Okay, so so moving on from that, like for example. I've never been to a game at Bossy Field in Evansville, which has basically been around for 100 years, and I bring that up because a buddy of mine literally went to a game there for the first time last night. He lives in California. These days, he's the voice of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes of the American Association. What is that nerd doing? It's an all-star break. He goes on a ballpark tour of the Midwest. So I'm getting photos. Literally, he goes to like the three towns that surround Lanesville and skips Lanesville. He sends me pictures of Georgetown, Crandall, and Corden. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? 
He sends me a picture of the Corden Waffle House last night. That comes to mind. So later in the program, I'll double back to this and say, okay, I plan on going back to the Milan Museum again because, again, I'm on the board. Uh, I encourage you to go as well. But that did check off something off my list. Here is a place in terms of Indiana sports that I have not gone to. We'll talk about some of those destinations coming up. Maybe we'll do that later this hour or if not during the 1 o'clock hour of the show. Here is the rundown of those that will be joining us on the program today. Bob Kravitz is going to give a go of it in the subscriber world of Substack. Was with The Athletic. Uh, was unfortunately part of those that were cut by the athletic staff a few weeks ago. Bob will join us in the next segment of the show. We'll talk about what is next for him, how you can follow along if you choose, and, of course, a wide variety of topics with Bob will come up in the next segment of the show. If you were listening on Monday afternoon, you know my love for all things Indy 11. You know my love for all things soccer. The Women's World Cup starts I guess less than 24 hours from now. I think technically the first game is at 3 a.m. coming up like overnight. Uh, Pardon me, I'll probably watch it on a replay on FS1 would be my guess. The U.S. women start Friday night at 9 against Vietnam. Um, The Indy 11 women play for a league championship on Saturday. And one of the many local products that start for the team is Addie Chester, She was a star at Delta High School. She plays at the University of Louisville. She'll be joining us during the 1 o'clock hour of the show. Also, if you listen to me filling in for JMB on Monday, you know I gave some love to some local hoops runs. As in, hey, you need to get your fix. You can go up to the Mojo Up Fieldhouse and watch the Dizzy Runs Pro-Am on Tuesday nights. If you're more of a downtown kind of person, you can go over to Tech High School in the Bonner Fitness Center, and you can check action on Wednesdays and Thursdays for the City League. The creator of that is Austin Taylor. He will join me coming up at the tail end of the 1 o'clock hour as well. It is a golf major, and apparently um, it's going to be cool for the next several days to completely stay up all night and watch sporting events because you will have live options. The first golfer will tee off for the Open Championship, as it's called in most of the world, the British Open that we would call it here, the first golfer tees off at 1.30 a.m. Eastern Time tonight. So if you're going to stay up late for a West Coast baseball game, you might as well just go ahead and plow on through and, and go to the Golf Channel, right? But Will Haskell will be covering all things for uh, for the Open Championship for Sirius XM. He will join us during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. And there is live sports going on right now. For a second consecutive Wednesday, the Indiana Fever have a matinee. Last I checked, they were leading the Washington Mystics by a score of 26-21. to We'll have both of the Indiana Fever All-Stars, Aaliyah Boston, Kelsey Mitchell, approximately 2.30. Talk about their All-Star experience, second half of the season for the Indiana Fever. Again, assuming the game ends on time, doesn't get like triple overtime, they will join us coming up during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. So as is often the case when I am here... We span the globe. We treat it like the wide world of sports, but it's the wide world of Indianapolis sports and things that kind of matter from a local perspective. That does not mean that we will be bereft. Fancy word of saying we will talk about the Indianapolis Colts. Um, We'll do that with Bob coming up in the next segment of the show. And something that Bob said in the interview, I taped it, um, basically um, something I want to touch on because it it, it kind of coincides with something that I heard last night. In kind of a, a tedious ad nauseum format, 
but the way in which it was spelled out kind of drove the point home, the area that while obviously we're all going to focus on, and, and, and any other franchise would, okay, you bring in, a, you bring in a, a fourth overall pick as your quarterback, he's focused number one. Your, your key defensive player barely played last year and is still somewhat uncertain injury standpoint, you're going to talk about that. Your running back from the last year of his deal, we all know what's going on in the running back position these days in the National Football League. Will that have an impact on do we see Jonathan Taylor next week? That certainly deserves conversation as well. So if I'm getting to fourth in the depth chart and I go, this is a problem, that's not good. And that's kind of the way it is with the Indianapolis Colts secondary. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But there was a method in another place where you can listen to football conversation that explained it in long and drawn-out fashion that I will not try to replicate, but it hammered the point home to me. Not good, Bob. Not good at all in terms of the current status of the Colts secondary, and we'll talk about that coming up later in the show as well. As you can tell, there is not exactly a lack of things for us to talk about, even what is considered to be the slow time of the year with, of course, Colts training camp now less than a week away. The phone line is the same as it always is, 317-239-1070. You can tweet to me at Greg Rakestraw. You can email the show to greg at 1070thefan.com. First, this quick timeout. Bob Kravitz joins us next. It's the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back. It is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I would guesstimate the number of conversations from an official, air quotes, on-air perspective this gentleman and I have had is at least in the hundreds. It might be in the thousands at this point. In previous years, I could say Bob Kravitz of the Indianapolis Star, Bob Kravitz of this radio station, Bob Kravitz of WTHR.com, Bob <laughs> Kravitz of the Athletic Urium chuckling in the background. When I give you the pop proper attribution now, my friend, what should I say? Well, I am uh, going to be kind of an independent uh, columnist, and independent journalist, and I will be writing a, su- a column on the Substack platform uh my first column will appear tomorrow thursday and if people want to access the column the first couple of pieces are going to be free and then it'll be subscriber only um but if they want to access me it's bobkravitz.substack.com in terms of talking, go, go ahead. I'm sorry, yeah, I cut okay. you off. Go ahead, yeah, please, please, please. Yeah, so you can uh, subscribe for free now, but eventually, uh, I would hope that uh, a good portion of uh, your listeners and my readers uh, will uh, sign up and subscribe, and uh, you know uh, they can have access to my pearls of wisdom. Uh, for time immemorial. Now, see, I was going to go with witty Bon Maz was what I, th- I, th- I thought was the Kravitz, you know, phrase that you were going to go with there uh, in, in terms witty of the Bon Maz. Yes, because I'm big on witty Bon Maz. I've literally heard you say that and seen that in print from you over the years. That's why that's why it's the direction that, that I thought you were going to go with. <laughs> uh, th- this question is reminiscent of like something I would ask a, a a state finals coach that's in a in a high school state final for a first time when I go, all right. 
you know, who are you talking with this week that have been there and done that that can kind of help guide you on this path as to what to expect? So now as, as more riders have gone this direction, whose brain have you been picking as to uh, how to make this financially profitable for you? Who you've been talking to and chatting to about this? Well, a couple people, um, and I've got, uh, I'm meeting with, uh, you know, Scott Agnes very yep. well. Scott has made a really good go of it on his own Substack covering the Pacers. Uh, in fact, he's uh, taking a look at my first story and helping me format it even as we speak. Um, and I've, uh, I'm going to be re- um, meeting with Adam Wren, the politi- great political writer here yep. in Indianapolis. Uh, he, he, too, has a Substack. Um, so, uh, and you know, who's been incredibly helpful is my daughter, my youngest (laughs) daughter, Dana out in Seattle is, uh, remarkable when it comes to figuring out all things computers. Um, so she, she made a really cool graphic for me for, uh, we're calling this musings of an old sports writer. Uh, I'm not wedded to the name. If there's a better name out there, I will definitely, uh, Oh, that rap, but I'll leave it. I'll leave it to the readers to decide whether that's a, an appropriate name for for my column or something better. While there is, you know, there's always concern of, hey, can I make a financial go at this? From a creative right. standpoint, this is, you know, unbelievable freedom. You literally get to write what you want to write about, what you are passionate about, and typically that then comes through the keyboard, and and then folks can be able to read that. So what are the things you are most looking forward to the, talking um, about? Yeah, this is – I'm sorry to cut you off. This is going to be a more personal type blog-like, I would say. I'm still going to write normal columns, still going to do some long, longer features. But for the most part, it's going to be, you know, just my views on sports. Uh, it, you know, it's going to be kind of a back-to-the-future thing. I think it's going to be more, more, clo- more closely approximate what I did at the Indianapolis Star and WTHR. I'll be writing far more frequently. You know, the Athletic didn't ask me to write that frequently, and quite frankly, half half my story ideas they didn't like anyway. <laughs> so, so um, uh, you know, while I'd rather have a, a job than no job, I, I'm, I'm really excited about what this can become. And I'm looking forward to people uh, – you know, getting involved and reading and helping me out uh, early on, because as anybody who knows me in this business can tell you, I am a complete Luddite when it comes to computers and working on a, on a new platform. It's there, there's all kinds of crazy cool things you can do on Substack. Uh, but, you know, if you ask me uh, about doing a podcast, which I'm going to do eventually, uh, I don't know how to do that technically just yet. So I'm going to learn as I go along and hopefully people, uh, people like my writing enough that they'll go to uh, bobkravitz.substack.com. Well, you can tell with that plug, it's Bob Kravitz that joins us here on the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and, and, and 107.5 The Fan. And my guess is there's obviously going to be a, a great deal of Indiana topics you touch on because yeah. you have now yeah. called this place home for 23 years and obviously for your years as a student at IU and a graduate, you know, uh, you know, a, a few years before that. But I would also assume you're not going to limit this to just no. Indiana things. So my guess would be this might be your first chance to write about some hockey at some point in time for the first time in a long time. 
Yeah, I think that I probably will. Now, I understand that, you know, the vast majority uh, of my readers will be Indiana-based uh, readers. Uh, and, and I know that hockey is not huge here. But, yeah, I, I, I look, I can write about hockey. I can write about cultural things. Now, I'm not going to get heavy into politics or or, or stuff like that. It's, it, people are reading me. They don't care what I think of the political landscape. Sure. They care if they if they care at all. They care uh, what I think about local sports. So yes, uh, uh, I, I will go off the reservation at times. Uh, there will be times where I'll just do personal stuff. I might uh, tell the story of being stuck in Newark for three days, trying to get the hell out of there after a one week vacation at the Jersey Shore, because I think. Everybody has had uh, travel nightmares, and boy, did we have a doozy. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's just going to be whatever pops into my head, um, whether it's sports or otherwise. But, you know, I'd say 95% of the time it'll be sports and Indian, Indianapolis, Indiana, Central Indiana sports. And I'm really looking forward to it. The best thing is I can't fire myself. <laughs> you know, I, I felt, and you'll read it in my first uh, column tomorrow. I felt like I got a raw deal at the athletic, and I was very honest and forthright about you know working there. Um, the, the people uh, will not be happy to read what I have to say, but the hell with them. Um, uh, I, you know, I've always taken the high road, but I, I, I changed course a little bit in the first column. Uh, I shared some of my frustrations, and I also uh, am telling people what to expect uh, from this substack and how I plan to go about uh, growing this thing. All right, so with that, let's kind of take a 30,000-foot view, then on like two or three of, 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 of the big topics that my guess is will encompass most of what you're going to be writing about. So let's kind of take these in right. chronological order. Uh, Indianapolis Colts training camp, as you and I are having this conversation, is six days away. Your thoughts about where this team and where this franchise stands heading into training camp? Well, I don't think they're going to be any good, if you want to know the truth. Um, you know, I, I, I am not a guy who thinks that uh, that Anthony Richardson needs to play right away. I, I think they'll be fine with uh, Gardner Minshew. I think, you know, people keep forgetting he played 13 games in college. Right. And there were 13 very uneven games. He doesn't have a resume. Okay? So, um I think it's going to be a long, hard season, especially now with the Jonathan Taylor contract situation. That's going to that's going to sit on them uh, all season long. You know, whether he shows up to training camp uh, is still a big question. Um, you know, whether Shaq Leonard will 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 you know be ready to go by camp. He had something on his Instagram the other day where he was working out and he looked pretty good. Um, so yeah, they're there, but you know, and they they have no no secondary. I mean, you know, their cornerback situation is very very dicey with Isaiah Rogers out of the picture. So um, I think it's going to be a tough rebuilding year for the uh, for the Colts. All right, so with that, let's now kind of go backwards. The team that just wrapped up, and I'm not sure how important if at all summer league is, but kind of the last bit of Pacers business barring another player move until training camp just wrapped up this past weekend. Your thoughts about, again, the current state of the Indiana Pacers and what the upcoming season will look like? 
I think they got a chance to make the playoffs, and I, I really do. And I, I love what they've done. I think Obi Toppin, Toppin, Bruce Brown, and uh, Tyrese Halliburton, they are the top three in the league in, in scoring in transition. This is a team that's going to scoot. This team is going to be fast. We saw it last year, but you had Obi Toppin. You had Bruce Brown. Um, I like the changes they made. If they can go out and get a Siakam, then all bets are off. Um, that would be that would be just terrific if they can get Siakam. Um, but you know, I I I, I think uh, Jarris uh, Walker is going to be a big help. Um, but you know, suddenly they've taken a position where they had nobody really at power forward and made it what I think has a chance to be a strength of theirs. So I think this is a team that's going to flirt with five hundred most of the year and have a chance to make the playoffs at the end. I will bring this up, and I think I brought this up in conversation with Chris Denary last week. In other words, those of us that were around for Rick Carlisle 1.0 versus now Rick Carlisle 2.0 always have the utmost respect for coaches that realize they have to change with the times. I have the utmost Mm -hmm. respect for coaches that coach around the talent that they have and say, hey, this is the best way for us to win. I still laugh at the idea of using the phrase they can really scoot on a Rick Carlisle team, knowing how much of a grind it was the first to get to 80 the first time he was the head coach some 20 years ago here absolutely and you you talk to the players and they'll tell you you know in the old days rick called everything Uh uh-huh rick rick called everything and now he's got a point guard who knows how to how to get this offense moving in the right direction and he calls very few plays i mean and that's just the way this league is now i mean everybody is playing kind of a freelance free-form basketball. I think it's great. I think it's very entertaining. Uh, people think it's just, you know, uh, you know, five out and drive and kick, but it's a lot more complex than that, and I think Rick uh, understands that. I mean, there's there's a reason why he's he's won as many games as he has, but, yeah, he has definitely, definitely – changed course over the over the over the last couple of years and if we're not talking Colts or Pacers on this radio station and what you're doing on frankly any sports medium that is trying to get volume in in terms of people kind of paying attention obviously IU basketball comes to mind but I will kind of lump this in just to say college sports in this state in general Yes. With the yeah, upcoming with the upcoming cup upcoming fall, whether it's football or basketball, et cetera, the most compelling college story in your mind that you think you'll be chronicling over the course of the next few months through your new Substack site will be what? What's the thing that's going to catch your attention? Well, I think two things. I think you know IU basketball is always a beast, sure. Um, and you know, as far as readership goes, and you know, who is Mbako? You know, uh, Kalel Ware. All you know, they, the IU is very much a mystery team, um, and so I think it's going to be really intriguing to see how they develop over the course of the year. And I think the other uh, great story is going to be Purdue. Sure, you know. Now I, I don't know how important the regular season is. I think <laughs> that they're going to be absolutely loaded, and nothing. It's going to be like the old Colts. You know, when when Peyton was here, you knew they were going to win 12, 13 games. It right. just a matter of what they did in the playoffs. And I think I think March is where it's going to where, where where it's going to be a success or a massive failure. Um, they are loaded, absolutely loaded. I think they'll be a top ten, top five team 
all all winter long, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. And I'm really glad that um, that Zach decided to come back. I think that was a good move on his part, and you know, a, a little bit like like uh, Trace coming back for his last year. Um, I, I, you know, will it help his draft status? Not unless he you know, goes down to about six foot eight and 210 (laughs) pounds, but which is highly unlikely. He's the most dominant college player we've seen in a long time. And I think Purdue is going to be outstanding this year. So again, there you go. The 30,000 foot view, all the big topics that you'll be able to read on Bob's new website, which debuts tomorrow and it's free at the start. Then a subscription soon after Bob Kravitz.substack.com. I wish you all the best. I will be a subscriber and I will not be a stranger. We'll have a variation of this conversation again soon. Thanks for the time, my friend. Thank you so much, my friend. Take care. Well, good luck to Bob Kravitz on that, and I'm sure he and I will have more conversations like that on these airwaves and in other places over the course of the next few uh, days, weeks, months, etc. Some breaking news in my world from a high school basketball standpoint. We'll have that for you when we come back. It's the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back. It is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Rakestraw in. Jimmy Cook, of course, always alongside. Several guests planned for the 1 and 2 o'clock hours of the program. And my plan after having Bob on the last show, or last segment of the show, as in Bob Kravitz, was kind of going to talk a little bit of of Indianapolis Colts, uh, but uh, a little bit of breaking news. And... To me, a little bit of, of disheartening news, although I think this had been expected at some point in time. There was hope that maybe he'd stick around for one more year, but another top basketball prospect in the area is walking away from playing for his high school and is instead going to go the prep school route. Last week, it was Cannon Catchings of Brownsburg. Today, it is Jalen Harrelson, who is exiting Fishers, is going to go play at La Lumiere in Laporte. Uh, I am reading from Kyle Nenarip's article uh, on IndyStar.com, which posted earlier this hour, rated as the number nine player in the country, offers from, again, every major school. Last year as a sophomore, averaged 23 points, eight rebounds, four assists. As a freshman, 16 points and five rebounds a game. Again, simply put, one of the top players in the nation in his junior class to be maybe the stat that will give you the impact of uh, of of the absence of Jalen Harrelson. Uh, I'll, I'll go to where Kyle talked about what his Fishers team did at the Charlie Hughes shootout and during the month of June, where you have all of the you know top high school teams in the state descend upon Carmel, and obviously June is the non AAU period when you play with your high school team. Then you get to July, and it's all about you know playing with your AAU group. Um, at the Charlie Hoos shoot, shootout at, at, at Carmel, Fishers outscored their opposition by an average of just shy of 30 points against Plainfield, Chesterton, Crown Point, and Jeffersonville. The Tigers went 11-0 and during the month of June. Uh, I know Garrett Weininger, his high school head coach, I'm sure I'll have a conversation with him off the air about this. Maybe at some point I'll have a conversation with him on the air. Uh, about this he said all the right things said all the right niceties and said hey there's other good players on this team and he is accurate about that it's kind of like what you would say about Brownsburg in terms of being a team that could be you know statewide competitive 
You go from being one of the best teams in the state to being just a, a, a good, solid high school basketball team. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's no way you replace the guy that just walked out the door. And I worry about this being a trend that is not reversible. And again, let's face it, okay, we're spoiled here. I talked about this in the opening segment of the show because I was relating it to my experience yesterday of walking through the Milan Museum for the first time. We have it so good here. With every, from a sports fan perspective, frankly, right now, from a weather perspective, we got it here pretty good too. Like it's it's warm out there today. There's like a thousand degrees in other parts of 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 the country right now. But we've you know my I got to mow my grass like every five or six days. That's not really the case in July and August. So weather wise, we got it pretty good. I love living here. I love being a sports guy that lives here because of the variety of things that I can talk about. And and I have told people this line you know verbatim. I'm lucky that I can largely be a high school sports person in terms of what I cover, what I broadcast, what I do, because of because the interest is so great in high school sports here. Okay, the job of the IHSAA is not to market future basketball stars; it is to administrate, oversee, offer a state tournament in multiple sports. Obviously, basketball tends to be the one that gets the lion's share of attention with football. But when you have top stars that are continuously leaving, and I'm not I'm not saying that there's something the IHSAA could or should do. I hate being that guy that says there's a problem and then doesn't have a way to offer a way to fix it. But it's kind of mentally where I am right now. This is not good. This is not good for... for those of us that are in the high school sports business, it's not good for those of us that just have a passion for high school sports, that have a pride in the statement. In 49 other states, it's just basketball. But we treat it differently here. And I'm and I'm not trying to be critical of kids that are 16 and 17 years old for making the choice that they feel is the best for them. But every time I come back to and say, Man, there's a lot you're leaving on the table here when you walk away. Even in this case, when you are going to play at another school in the state and you're not going that far away from home. And yes, I acknowledge the talent pool of guys that have played at that specific school as of late. You know, Isaiah Stewart, I, I, Lalu Mare has played a, a few handful of games in Indianapolis that we've actually done on ISC. So Isaiah Stewart of the Detroit Pistons saw him playing for a couple of years at La Lumiere. Ty Campbell that played forever at UCLA saw him play there too. Obviously, Jaden Ivey, after being at Mishawaka Marion, went there for a year. And clearly we think he's going to do great things in the NBA after seeing him do great things at Purdue University. You know, Cannon went to play go play for overtime elite. They just put a couple of kids in the you know first five picks of the NBA draft. So I, I, I'm not sure I have a way to quote-unquote fix this. I'm not sure something needs to be fixed. I hate dropping a phrase, it is what it is. But it's a problem when you see players of that ilk walk out the door and you know you won't be able to get to see them locally. I'm not a fan of that. I'm always rooting for a young man to be successful. But I also think you can be successful and stay here at the same time.
So that just kind of came across the wire. Um, again, how does that affect recruiting, et cetera? Don't know. Um, but but it affects one team that was not going to be as good as I, I thought they would be going into the, into the season. And maybe a, a, a few less eyeballs that are checking checking the local basketball scene. And I don't think that's a good thing. So just wanted to make sure I shared that with you when that became news became available to me. Uh, I'll transition back to talking about the Indianapolis Colts with the minimal amount of time I have left in this segment of the show. Um, since I was driving uh, all over southern southeastern Indiana to and from Milan yesterday, um, I have a variety of options I can be listening to. Obviously, 107.5 is a speed dial in my car. But once I get somewhere between Shelbyville and Greensburg, 107.5, the fan is no longer an option. I've always could have pulled it up, I suppose, on the app. Um, but uh, the, the, the ease of convenience, uh, we just started scrolling. And not far from where we got 107.5, the fan would be Sirius XM, would be the NFL channel, channel 88. And man... When you have a channel that is dedicated to one single sport and one single entity, you can go through the weeds in terms of really breaking it down. And you're also just before that point where you at least have a few more things to talk about with training camp opening up. I mean, there was a reason that Mike Greenberg was actually on the show named after him that leads into this one today. Because as I'm sure you were made well aware of multiple times, the Jets open training camp today. Most teams will open next week. Rookies show up at a variety of different times. But move-in day next Tuesday, first day of practice next Wednesday at Grand Park for the Indianapolis Colts. But Sirius XM NFL Radio was dedicating like full segments to breaking down the secondary position and going team by team. This happened to me listening when they were doing it in the AFC South. And we, again, this is not new news. And this is not a format that I am going to just, you know, repeat verbatim, but try to give you the shrink wrapped version of it when it was basically stated, hey, Stephon Gilmore had a 1,000 snaps, and he's not here. Rodney McLeod played over a 1,000 snaps, and he's not here. Isaiah Rogers played over 400 snaps, and he's not here. Uh, Nick Cross, who was drafted in the third round last year, played far more on special teams than he did as a starter, um, and he's still a backup. You know, Rodney Thomas was a find as a seventh-round pick, but he's a starter and played to a point where you decided to move Julian Blackman over in the spot where Nick Cross, you had hoped you had drafted, was going to go into that position. But when you're getting to guys that are like college-free agents and third-day draft picks and they – if not starting, are any injury away from starting. And basically when everybody in your secondary, other than Kenny Moore, who is your starting nickelback, 
when you're when you have nothing but guys on their rookie deals kind of drives the point home as to how big of a question mark the secondary is. Again, this is not new information. Ever since Isaiah Rogers um, did what he did and was found out about it by the National Football League, and now he has been suspended indefinitely and obviously has been cut from the Indianapolis Colts. The things that I'm saying to you, you could have read the same thing in the depth chart. It was just the manner in which I heard it yesterday where it's kind of spaced over five to ten minutes and Here's this guy's background. Here's the amount of snaps he has played. Here's where he was drafted. Here's his NFL experience. And it's a guy that was an undrafted free agent a year ago that's a starter. A guy that was just drafted in the second round, and he's a starter. A player that you're switching positions, and he's coming off of injury. He's a starter. And a seventh-round pick from Yale, and he's a starter. I've got one year of experience who played well. Again, there's potential there. There's not a lot of track record there either. And there are other shinier objects that are grabbing our attention right now with the Colts, understandably so. You're always going to talk more about quarterback than you are cornerback. And you're going to talk about your captain of your defense and his injury status. And the guy that was the highlight factor of your offense two years ago that is entering contract territory where clearly there is, I wouldn't say an impasse would be too strong, but contentious negotiations ahead of us is certainly a possibility. But don't sleep on the cornerback position. My friend Rick Venturi has the phrase ambient player. There might be some ambient needed when thinking about the secondary of the Colts. We'll see more as training camp begins in six days. Back with more in a moment. A different type of football conversation comes your way next. Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It is The Fan Midday Show. Greg Rakestraw in. And so if I am going to be hosting the show, as I then back away from the microphone and drive Jimmy absolutely insane, this is what happens when the host of the show, you know, doesn't routinely wear his headphones Stuff goes haywire when we have a guest that, you know, I kind of need to hear, you know, through the board. It's amazing how that works. Um, but the guest or the topic that I always try to get into uh, when it comes to uh, being in the midday show or John show, whatever, you know, I'm going to sneak some soccer conversation into the mix, especially when the team that I am privileged enough to call being the Indy 11 on a regular basis, I've got not one but two matches coming up on Saturday. The men's match at 7 o'clock against Tampa Bay Rowdies. The women just keep winning, and they have gotten to the final match of the season, as in the championship match of the W League. They will host the North Carolina Courage U23 squad at 2 o'clock at Carroll Stadium. If you want to watch it, iscsportsnetwork.com, 11 sports. But I would much rather you be there and be in person. Get your tickets now, 317-685-1100, indy11.com. One ticket gets you into both matches. You just can't beat that. Part of the great story of this Indy 11 women's team is that not all, but so many of the players are local, like this young lady here. She's about to enter her sophomore year at the University of Louisville, but she is from the Muncie area. She graduated from Delta High School. It is Addie Chester, who was kind enough to spend some time before training on this Wednesday with us. Addie, how you doing today? I'm good. How are you? 
I'm doing great. And uh, you and I have had a version of this conversation before in terms of Soccer Saturday, but it's been a couple of months. It, it, it's been a few weeks. Just knowing that you and your teammates are playing for a championship in your next game, your thoughts on that and what does that mean to you? I think it's really cool. I didn't. I don't think any of us um, expected to come into the season and just keep winning the way we have. Um, I, we're all super excited, um, and I think it's going to be a really good game. So, Well, obviously you've played a couple of really good teams in terms of the last couple that you beat. Uh, last year's runner-up in, in Minnesota, and then the game against San Francisco. And, and I forget if you were able to play at the beginning of the season for the opener last year um, in, in the first ever game against King's Hammer where the atmosphere was absolutely nutso at Grand Park. I wasn't there on Friday night, but it certainly seemed that way. How would you describe the way the game played out and the fan support that you and your teammates had on Friday night in the semifinal? I think we could all agree that it was one of the coolest environments we've all played in. Um, I mean, just the game itself was super cool. It was, we scored the first goal, then they scored, then we scored, and we just happened to score the last one in extra time. It was kind of unreal. Like, I don't even – I think I blanked out the whole game. I don't even remember it. <laughs> uh, you can go back yeah, and, and I, watch I never, the replay if you want to kind of, you know, kind of th- think more about, about the details. Um, and, again, you're one of the handful of players that has now played in both years of the Indy 11 women's team. Obviously, the results last year were great. They've been even better this year. How is this team different from the one that you were a part of that made the national quarterfinals uh, a season ago? You know, I think obviously we have some different personalities and different people um, in the mix, but honestly, I think it's the culture stayed the same. Uh, this, this team is one of the most fun teams I've been a part of, and we find a way to mold together really quickly considering it's a really short season and we're all coming from different places. Um, but I think it's kind of crazy that with different people this year, it's still been the exact same culture. So I think that's really cool. Again, Addie Chester, Delta High School grad. She's about to be a sophomore at the University of Louisville. She plays for the Indy 11, and they are playing for their league's national championship on Saturday afternoon. Kind of join us here on the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, I, I rattled off this stat, and I don't think I'm going to forget anybody's high school. So amongst you and the other starters, Delta, Triton Central, Carmel, Noblesville, Zionsville, Brabuff Jesuit, all represented. And again, um, I, I think the main concern is, can you play? So you've got players from other parts of the Midwest, uh, et, et cetera. But to be able on a field that has such local talent and to play for the local professional team and, and have that Indy 11 crest on your shirt, what does that element or aspect of this mean to you? I mean, the coolest part for me is that the girls on the team I've known, they're, I mean, a lot of them are older than me, obviously, but I've known about them and been around them and played for the same club as them for my whole life. So like Sam Dewey, you know, I've been, I've known about her, but now we're all playing together. So it's really cool. Well, to that point, um, and I'm sure your teammates like, you know, like you from as the older ones, uh, but, but there's some truth to that. So Addie's about to be a high, a college sophomore, but there are several players on this team that have played professionally overseas. Maddie Williams, again, Sam Dewey, uh, Annika Creel, uh, that they just kind of joined the squad in, in terms of the last few weeks. Knowing that's, I'm sure, the goal for you, that when you're done at UofL, you're open to play, whether it's overseas, NWSL, Super League, whatever the case may be. The chance to kind of learn from them and, and, and pick their brain, how often do you do that uh, around the training pitch, on the way to matches, things like that? 
mean, I they're all really good players. I'm impressed by them every day. Um, I would say we have a lot of really good leaders on the team. Um, and I think just having them on the field with me, honestly, provides a lot of guidance. Like uh, in the last game, I don't usually play the nine, and um, Maddie was super helpful in that. So I just think uh, their leadership on the field has been the biggest thing. And then off the field, I mean, we're all joking around. It's not anything serious. But on the field, they're really good leaders. So, A, a lot of you know college players are already back on campus uh, because they're getting ready for the upcoming season. Those that don't know, you know training is underway uh, at most colleges. And like the first matches – kind of take place like around, around August 10th, like some preseason friendlies, matches that count, or like five or six days after that. So right now, are, are, are you kind of juggling, like driving up and down I-65 on a regular basis? Uh, as your coach kind of signed off on you staying here until all this is done, meaning you're heading back to Louisville next week, uh, how are you handling that? Yeah, I'm still at home in Muncie driving to Indy for trainings and stuff. So luck, I kind of got lucky with my coach. She um, trust the training environment and kind of let me stick around until we lose. So, and and you're not going to yeah. lose. You don't have to worry about it. No. Uh, you're going to win the championship, <laughs> then you can go uh, back south and yeah. do that. You've got a college teammate that that's getting key minutes with you as well. If she's starting or coming off the bench, having Lizzie Sexton kind of go through this process with you this summer, what has that meant to to the two of you, and how does that benefit you guys in the fall? Yeah, Lizzie's awesome. I think that um, so Lizzie just got switched outside back um, in the spring. And so being able to get some experience with me on the left and her on the left has been huge, and hopefully um, we'll see that translate to the fall with Louisville. I tend to, Addy, I tend to ask this of, of, of the pro guys when they're like, you know, have like, you know, somebody, you know, they're going to play in their hometown or, um, you know, if, if, if they're going back and they get a bunch of ticket requests. Because we're moving to the bigger stadium outdoors at Carroll, how many ticket requests have you gotten for Saturday's championship match? I mean, I have a big family as it is, um, so I've gotten all of them and then a couple others. It hasn't been extreme, but I, I definitely am, I've surpassed 10, I would say. That's pretty good. You're doing your part to kind of help fill the place. Um, I'll, I'll let you kind of do a little promoting here. For people that maybe haven't come and seen your team play and they hear and hear the extended talk about this week about playing for a championship – if somebody's going to watch you and your teammates for the first time this Saturday afternoon, what do you want them to look for? What, what's, the, what's the show that you want to put on for fans at, at Carroll Stadium on Saturday afternoon? I think that our team is – we play very free and creative. Um, it's one of my favorite um, environments to be in with them. I think that we're all just – we individually, I think everybody is very good, whether they're coming off the bench or on the – on the field to start i just think we have a we're very deep um and we're all very creative so all right now um while the focus obviously for you is on this big final coming up on saturday afternoon um there's a little thing called the women's world cup that starts like 14 hours from now how big of a topic of conversation has that been in training over the course of the last few days i mean obviously it's the world cup it's a huge deal um a lot of some of the girls know some people playing on the team um, so yeah, we're all really excited. I know Grace Barr grew up with Rose Lavelle. I <laughs> played with her at the University of Wisconsin. Um, if and and you're about to the point, or maybe a year or two down the road, where obviously you want to do this professionally and 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 kind of you know have people resemble your game. You know, at, at some point in time as a pro, if there is a player you have tried to model your game after, male or female, 
Who would that be? Um, I would say Tobin Heath. It's a yeah. good one to pick. She's been doing this for, for quite some time. Addie, I know you're busy. We'll let you go. Hey, thanks for the time, and, and I will see you on Saturday afternoon. Congratulations on making it this far, and uh, and best luck in hoisting that trophy coming up on Saturday afternoon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Addie Chester, kind enough to join us again. She currently plays at the University of Louisville. She is a Delta High School product. And I believe the most goals that she scored in a given year was 59 in her days at Delta High School. Um, and, and it's kind of fitting after a segment where we had a conversation about, hey, what can you do as a pro if, you know, instead of going the, the in soccer, would be the academy route. Um, and maybe you could even say a different type of academy. We refer to it as the prep school route uh, in terms of basketball. You know, you can make it to the pros playing with your high school team. Because trust me, it's, it's it's not as big of a conversation because there is not the statewide interest in high school soccer that we have in high school basketball. But believe me, the same conversations are being had in that sport. Hey, so-and-so isn't playing with his or her high school team because so-and-so is going the academy route. And if you talk to the academy folks, they quickly poo-poo high school soccer. If you talk to the folks in the community, they get upset because their star athlete isn't playing a season that would require about two and a half to three months of their time. So the the the, the high school hoops debate, trust me, is being replicated in other sports. Now, James, as someone that is very soccer knowledgeable, what questions, if any, can I answer for you about Saturday's upcoming W League final? And the answer of uh, how many questions the, the people rest is perfectly fine. I, I think at this point it's the people rest. <laughs> Remind me again where we can get tickets. Uh, Indy11.com, 317-685-1100. And you can also uh, just uh, show up at the game. There'll probably be tickets available. And again, your ticket gets you one ticket, gets you both games. Women play at two, men play at seven. I am fortunate enough to have the call on both. Ironically enough, I will do a double header from different sides of the stadium. So the women's match I will call from the press box, which if you've been to the mic, kind of sits off to the side since it was first constructed 40-ish years ago for track and field. So the press box is, you know, start finish line. That's where you're going to be. Um, so that that's where we'll do the women's side from. Then I will meander my way back across to my normal uh, pitch side to use the basketball parlance courtside location where I can hear the players like swearing at each other during the course of the match. I'll go back there for the seven o'clock men's match, which you can see locally on WRTV channel six coming up on Saturday afternoon. What about outside the state? If hypothetically one person that asked about tickets forgot that he's not going to be in Indiana road, one go to catch said match. Is that possible? ISC sports network.com. If you want to watch in other words, you're going to be out of state. James, is that what you're talking about? Okay. Uh, 11 Sports uh, is kind of the official portal, as in not Lee Indy 11, but it's a separate website. 11sports.com. We'll put it on Twitter. We'll put it on YouTube, et cetera. A random left turn, because oftentimes when you are doing a sports talk show, um, you just kind of go to Twitter and go, hey, look at that. Let's talk about this. Jimmy, if there was an NFL throwback, that has merited the most amount of attention that a team would wear this year, I'm going to wager that you could pretty much make an accurate guess of that. 
So the throwback that has gotten the most attention would be whose? The creamsicles, Tampa Bay. Absolutely. Um, and I am of that age. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers came into existence the same year that I came into existence. Uh, and I remember watching them be miserable uh, for most of their first 20 years. But, man, the, the uniforms were so ugly, they were cool. And so those are being brought back. There is another throwback of a similar ilk and era that was announced earlier today. Jimmy, can you name the other throwback that a team will be bringing back in 2023? This isn't right, but I'm going to throw out a guess anyway. The Vikings released one yesterday. I do know the announcement you're talking about because I'm pretty sure they're wearing them when they play Kansas City. I saw it today, but I can't remember who it is, so no. Okay. Um, I'll give you a few hints here. This team broke away from this look. This look was uh, basically what they – a variation of it for the first 25 Seattle? years of their existence. And then they created their own color scheme. And they're a team – and yes, you're right. They're okay. a team that has, you know – they have been like one of the few teams that can get away with whatever – Color, it's yeah. like, like at Seattle, they're fine. They can wear, they can invent their own shade of green and gray and blue. And f- amazingly, it looks good on them. Hands were at the sides. That was just the memory banks. If I saw this headline today, because it had the word Chiefs in it, I'm pretty sure they're debuting them when they play Kansas City. The Seattle. Seahawks are going back, not completely, but they are going to rock the uniforms that they wore when they were in the AFC. They entered. Although, at the same exact time as the Tampa Bay, I'm just saying rowdies uh, because of soccer, the Buccaneers, they came into the league the same year in 1976. And the first, and I didn't even know this till many years later. The first year the Seahawks played, they were in the NFC. They were then bumped over to the AFC after that. And the Seahawks uniforms back then, man, the Seahawks uniforms have always been cool, all right? Kind of the more modern update the Seahawks have gone through like when the NFL switched to Nike uniforms better than that other combination that they had like in the 2000s like the Mike Holmgren Matt Hasselbeck era Seahawks um I think the Russell Wilson uni Seahawks are a better look but I think, and again, I, I'm officially that age, like whatever was the case in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm like, yeah, let's go back to that. It reminds me when I, you know, had hair not on my face, but on the top of my head. And there was less of me that would fit into this camera shot that I am looking at right now. So the creamsicles are back. I'm not sure. I'm sure those in the Pacific Northwest would have something cool they would refer to those Seahawks uniforms as. And I don't dislike the current Seahawks uniforms, but saw that I'm like, that's worthy of a conversation. I like those uniforms. It was very confusing as a young child playing NFL Blitz 2001, and they would have the divisions when you're picking your team, and the Seahawks were there, but I'm playing this game in like 03 as an eight-year-old, and yep. I don't understand why Seattle's there. It was very mind-confusing <laughs> mind that this is they're in the NFC. What's going on and, here? And it, it is like I love the classic look of the Colts. I, I do, all right? But let's face it, it, it is one of the issues that you have – when you haven't, and, and again, I love our uniforms. I mean, we've changed the font. We've changed the the color of the face mask. We went from blue to gray about 17, 18 years ago. You know, we'll trot out those uniforms. They have the horseshoes on the back. 
from the 50s, but more or less, the Colts uniform from 1984, from the one they got off the Mayflower, looks within 95% of what the uniform looks like now. That's a good thing to me. The bad thing is, is that you don't get to have like these, like these retro moments like other franchises have. And frankly, the franchise that you support is kind of of the same ilk. Yeah. Like if you as a Chiefs fan, you know, would say, all right, we're going to go back to white face mask and, and basically no yellow in the numbers, just a red shirt and white numerals or the flip side of which I immediately think of Len Dawson smoking a heater in the locker room it's what and having a fresca yeah. is what immediately comes to mind. Um, but that would be a, a, a tweak, kind of like the Indianapolis Colts. So even though you're from Indianapolis, you're a Kansas City fan, you feel my pain on this day. Yeah, the only change they can really do, and they did it once when I was in high school in the late 2000s, is they go back to the Dallas Texans, but then it's just the state right. of Texas on the side of the helmet. Right. It doesn't really make any sense. Right, exactly. For my generation, and go back to video games, I guess, for a second, because that's the lane that I'm in today. I get fascinated with the uniforms and get yelled at by buddies a lot when we're playing online one-on-one Madden because I love to pick teams and, right. and mess with the uniforms and have these throwback conversations. And when you get to the Colts or when you get to my Chiefs, like you outline, not a lot of creativity you can really throw out there. So the Raiders be in that same boat. Like if they want to go throwback, they just go silver numbers instead of black, which was kind of a 60s thing. Um, I'm not saying we should change the uniforms. We have a throwback. Just one of those things that it does fall in the category of it is what it is. When your uniform is so classic, it's hard to go back to something else. You know, the Steelers have a classic uniform. I kind of wish they go back to the old school font instead of the one they adopted in the mid 90s. I think that, but I also love like their black and gold uniforms. Like, it's hard to argue that the Bears uniforms aren't just fantastic. They get to mix in some orange every once in a while. But then when they go to like, like the same look as the Steelers, like the navy blue, almost dark enough to be black jerseys, like the orange letter or numerals, I think that's cool too. They can pull off a couple of classic different looks. So there you go, a random synapse fire on NFL throwback uniforms because not just the Buccaneers are going to be wearing them this year, the Seahawks are going that direction as well. 317-239-1070, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show, greg at 1070thefan.com. Open phones this segment of the show. If something we have talked about you think is phone call worthy, now is the time. Your phone calls, your tweets, your emails, or simply Jimmy and I talking about just random stuff from Twitter. We can do that too. Back after this, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Rakestraw, Jimmy Cook as well. That is the fan midday show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jimmy, what are your evening plans? What do you have? Is it, you know, a, a full, are you going to watch like um, Wrexham and Chelsea? Is that on your plans? Uh, MLS All-Star Game, you go into bed early, so you wake up at three and watch Women's World Cup. What's in the docket for Jay Cook this evening? Dab went a little bit of Wrexham, watch the Yankees disappoint again, and then uh, big Marvel guy rake, so Secret Invasion's ongoing on Disney+. Plus. Probably, probably check into some uh, Samuel L. Jackson a little bit later. I have no scene. idea what you're talking That's about right. because I am not a big Marvel guy. All right. I'm a completely different type of dork. Um, but if, if you want to go see some hoop, I know where the place is. It's downtown, campus of tech, the Bonner Fitness Center. It's the City League that is, I think, now playing – I think this is a fifth year of the City League. Austin Taylor, is that right? That is slightly wrong. Seventh year. Seventh year. My goodness, it's been the fifth year that I've been on. It's been on my radar. Austin Taylor, the founder of the City League, joins us now. How you doing, my friend? 
I'm doing great, Greg. I'm sitting here outdoors at Amelia's Bakery in Windsor Park, neck deep in basketball. So we're doing fine. All right. It's good to hear it. And I know that you and I have had this conversation on the air before. Explain the story of how some dude from Rossville starts the City League in Indianapolis. Hey, you know what? I was just a guy that loved basketball, and I wanted to figure out a way that we could put some of us that kind of aged out of organized basketball back on a stage. And so we started – we started really small about 10 years ago. It's open gyms and it's slightly evolved or it's slowly evolved every year since then. And now we have a pretty cool product that all the best basketball players, men and women from the last 20 years have come out of central Indiana participate in. So um, we're having fun. You have always, always said it's been bigger than basketball. And so you have also been great about doing these community engaged events um, as well as, having community sponsors for all of these teams. Um, kind of talk about, I don't want to go too you know deep into the weeds from the business standpoint, but all of these teams have a community sponsor that supports them as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So basically, the basic idea is in Indiana, there's a lot of energy around basketball. So we feel that if we can put on a, a good basketball event, we can use that energy for a positive purpose. So we have different business, local business sponsors that sponsor our teams. And so we give them a lot of promotion on different, their products and like different things they have going on. We have a lot of social service agencies. Um, and then we organize a different community activity every night we're playing basketball. So for instance, tonight, CareSource, who is our title yep. sponsor, they're organizing a wellness night. So we'll have Marion County Health Department's coming out, giving out free vaccines. We'll have an immunization clinic. Cairo First is coming out to give out massages. Um, we'll have next week. We're doing Cares Horse is doing a resource fair. The Bonner Center is doing a back to school night. Samaritan Feet's coming out to give out shoes for kids going back to school. So we do those type of activities. We have organized that around the basketball. We kind of use the basketball as a as a, a way to bring people in, and then organizations that are connected to us uh, use that energy for their purposes all right so uh let's talk about the basketball now uh who are some of the people are going to come out to watch tonight first of all what time do the games begin six o'clock so Uh, we got we got to go ahead i was going to say i I, I was say and and who are some of the big names that will be playing in uh, not just six o'clock game but all night long because you'll put games up like every hour five hour ten minutes so i know it's at least a triple header you have going tonight who all's playing this evening so we, 6 p.m. game, we've got uh, Taylor Persons, Joey Brunt, Deshaun Francis, and Ryan Weber. They actually they're 0 and 2. Uh, they take on a team with uh, the Mahern brothers from Rockville, Marcus Burke that played at IUPUI, and then a bunch of like really good guys from that played at Marion University over the last five years. I don't know if you know Wes Stowers, um, Jason Riley, Deion Smith, those guys. And then at seven, Marcus Teague, John Hart, and D- Darius Adams are playing against a team from Anderson. So some like some low-level college guys from Anderson, um, Zach Owens, he won a state championship at Attics a couple years ago. Um, Deontay Reigns played at uh, Anderson and now plays in the TBL. And then Ethan Jacobs played at Tipton's and seven footer played at Colgate. They play at seven. And then our best game of the night is our women's game at eight. Our two undefeated teams, uh, Sharika Webb and Ariana Harris, former Purdue greats, uh, go up against. Um, a team, the Phoenix Nick- Nicholas Center. So they've got Brandy Woody, who's now Brandy Nyrider, was an Indian All Star in 2010, played at Ball State. Uh, Jazz McGee played at IU. Taylor Griffith, who was the second all time leading scorer at Western Illinois. Uh, so that's going to be a really good. We're looking forward to that game tonight. So we've got we've got a really we've got 73 
uh, former professional Division One players in our league this summer. So every night is a, we've got a handful of good games. And I got to watch. I want to point out it has been big for you to have a women's division, and knowing that the women, when they get to the championship, are playing for a cash prize as well. Why has this been so important to you? Yeah, you know, I, so I grew up in the mid-90s in Lafayette, and I grew up on Purdue women's basketball. Purdue was really good back then. Stephanie White, Yukari Figs, Janon Rowland. Like, those are some of the players that I really – those are my favorite players as kids, as a kid. And so we tried to get the women's stuff started about four years ago. We're, just, we're struggling with it. Women don't play after they're done playing in college or professionally like the men do. Um, there wasn't really an opportunity for women to play after they were done playing organized. We had two women, uh, A.D. Williams and Maddie McConnell, uh, young ladies who were in, involved in the basketball yep. community who came on our board. They got it going. And so now, like, the women's games are just as exciting as the men's. We had a great game last week with Bria Goss and Portia Green's team. Jim was packed. Like, it's just – it's 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 kind of giving them, like, a new lease on life. Like, they're, they're, they're really excited to be able to have an opportunity to play high-level basketball again, so it's, it's a lot of fun. We, we love the women. And you're playing tomorrow night as well, right? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm, my team's playing in the 9 p.m. game. I don't give any minutes, but I am on a roster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy you're getting to play uh, at, at, at this point. All right, championship doubleheader is on August the 10th. I'll, I've been fortunate enough that this will be now my fourth year uh, of calling the action for the final on the ISC yep. Sports Network, so I always appreciate your friendship and your partnership. How much money are they playing for in each of those two championship games on Thursday, August 10th? So the, so the, the first game is the women's game. They'll be playing for 6000 The men will be playing for 8000 Um The reason there's a difference is we have 12 men's teams. We have seven women's teams. Sure. So, uh, the, you know, when we started with the cash prize, that was a big deal, and that's kind of what drew people out. But, like, the basketball has gotten so good that – nobody talks about the cash prize anymore. Like, it's it's kind of an afterthought. Everybody's just excited to come out and watch everybody play and compete against, you know, some of the best players that, uh, that in, in the city. It's an afterthought so. until you get the Elam ending and you get close. Then all of a sudden it becomes a very True. big deal uh, in, in terms <laughs> of those championships. How much would it cost the average folk to come and watch these games on Wednesdays and Thursdays? It's free. It's free. Come out. Come out and buy some food and just hang out and enjoy yourself. It's it's a truly it's a community event. We don't charge anything. All right. So uh, website, social media, the best way to find out more information about the City League is what, Austin? Okay. Website, thecityleague.org. Social media is at City League Indy on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, I would say our Instagram is probably the best way to go learn more. Actually, our website's good too. We got a lot. We've got quite a bit of accumulated quite a bit of media over the last couple of years, and so um, all that's housed on our website. All right, stretch vigorously before you play tomorrow night. All right, you're of that age, you know now, my friend. <laughs> you take care of yourself, and I'm I'm hoping to make it out before I see you on August the 10th. But I know I'm gonna see you on the 10th. Thanks, buddy. Sounds good, Greg. Thank you. You got it. Austin Taylor, again, he is the founder, the creator of the City League, and that is something that was an idea that was just about basketball. It's become something a lot bigger than that. But at the end of the day, for you as a consumer, if you want to go see some really good hoop, you've got two nights a week to go do it on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and they will play all the way through their championship game coming up on Thursday, August the 10th. So, hoop heads, all right? Here's 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 the spots you need to be going and for finals. Friday, August 4th, Mojo Up Fieldhouse for the Dizzy Runs. Thursday, August 10th, Bonner Center, the campus of Tech High School 
for the doubleheader final of the City League. I want to see you there. Those places were packed each of the last couple of years I did those finals. If you cannot make it, I'll have the call of both on the ISC Sports Network. In the last segment of the show, and earlier than that, I talked about great places in which you would sheepishly admit, I've not been to that great sports venue in the state of Indiana. Or places if you wonder, hey, have I been there? And almost simultaneously, I get both of you, or a couple of different tweets, both of you that are listening, obviously, there's two of you left, um, both of you to say, both tweets that I got, what about the wigwam? Ben offers this. Ever get a chance to attend the game at the Wigwam and Anderson? Steve says, I was able to get to a game at Indy Stadium a few years ago, but I never got to the Wigwam and Anderson. Guys, I was fortunate enough to do one game from the Wigwam. It was the season opener in 1997 between, and it was, I guess it was the would have been the first year of, of, of class basketball too, um, but it would have been Anderson hosting Alexandria. And that would have been the Alexander team that went on to win the inaugural 2A championship later that year. So it would have been Norm Held was with me. I was doing radio for WXXP in Anderson, the experience, 97.9. And uh, that was, I was filling in for my buddy Scott Eaker. That was my one chance to get to a game at the Wigwam. And I am so thankful that I was able to cross that one off of the bucket list, not knowing that the expiration date on that building would be hitting at some point in time in the next 10, 15 years. I remember that they used to have a mid-season, like, single-day shootout, you know, at the Wigwam for a few years trying to keep it going. And I remember a, a buddy of mine that coached in Southern Indiana basically said, I think this is the last one. You better believe we're going to have him play in this thing just in case it closes down. And now it's been a little more than a decade. There has not been basketball there. There is always talk of opening back up. There is always talk about reviving it. I certainly hope that is the case. But I am lucky enough, that one I have crossed off the list. In terms of like the great Indiana high school basketball venues, obviously because of what I get to do for a living, I have been to a bunch of them. So Crawley Center, check. Uh, Tiernan Center, check. Lloyd Scott and Seymour, that one. Newcastle Fieldhouse, been there. Wigwam, yep. Memorial Gymnasium in Kokomo, plenty of times. Hatchet House, loved that place. Been going to that joint uh, since it was 13 years, since I was 13 years old. Love watching people's reaction when they walk into that place for the first time. Uh, I wasn't there this past year, but I had the semi state there in back to back years. And in 2022, both Beach Grove and uh, Cathedral in the old format were both sent down to play one game down there. And I just happened to be kind of looking down at the floor from my diagonal, you know, kind of press view row and see the looks on the Beach Grove faces and the Cathedral faces as those kids walked in the building, kind of took it in for the first time. They're like, you know, because they'd have made this long drive from Indianapolis where if you're the Indianapolis team, there's the people come to play you. You don't have to worry about going out to play them. So they go down to Washington, and to watch the look on their faces, like, this place is cavernous. Yes. And there are oftentimes in that place is actually going to be full. And Big Glenn hits me up saying the exact same thing, saying Anderson is and was the spot. And knowing they've had some better teams the last couple of years, I'm hopeful there's a chance that the Wigwam will at some point in time again be the spot. 
317-239-1070, telephone number, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. Will Haskett will join us to talk about the uh, Open Championship. And pretty much right after we get done talking with Will, Aaliyah Boston and Kelsey Mitchell will check in and talk about their WNBA All-Star experience since the Indiana Fevers game just ended against the Washington Mystics. Back with more in a moment. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Will Haskett coming up in a matter of moments. The Indiana Fever with a matinee win against the Washington Mystics, a much-needed victory. The Fever now 6-15. and 15. They had not one but two All-Stars, and both of them will be set to join us here in a matter of moments. Uh, Kelsey Mitchell with 18 points and five assists. Aaliyah Boston with 11 points and eight rebounds. And we'll talk to both of those two coming up all in about 15, 20 minutes or so. Again, we'll ask it before that. If not, we'll happily talk to you at 317-239-1070. You can always email the program, greg at 1070thefan.com. Hit us up on Twitter as well, at Greg Rakestraw. Um, it is still somewhat odd to kind of refer to the British Open slash the Open Championship as the last golf major of the year. And I realize the PGA Championship has like moved to May but because of how busy my life is in May and because of generally where all of our focus is in May, kind of those things like, oh, yeah, the PGA Championship already happened. I'm sure that same hang-up is not a problem for Will Haskett, who I happened to hear a lot of this weekend. I had up and backs to Logansport on Saturday and Sunday. So the rap on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio helped get me home down US 31. Will, as always, you did a great job. How you doing this afternoon? Early this past weekend, rake on back-to-back days. So that wasn't uh, that was not a problem in my world. It was nice to have my afternoon off after uh, getting up bright and early to watch Scottish golf and then talk about it. So I appreciate you listening. I mean, there's a lot of channels there on SiriusXM, so I appreciate you putting 92 on the uh, presets there for me. It is on the presets at least during the golfing season. It, it may not hang there Always during the golfing football season. Rake 52 True. weeks out of the year, we're playing golf. It's the best. It's the gig that keeps on giving. Listen, I I, I, I'm all for you getting 52 <laughs> paychecks a year. So I, I am, I am all uh, for, for that being the case. Uh, but, uh, but, but Roy McElroy winning into the open championship. You could not write the script any better. No. Is he the, is he the unquestioned favorite now heading into the week? I think it's recency bias easily allows us to slip into that. But I think those of us who have wanted to see Rory win another major for a long time, and then especially in this sort of interesting two-year window where he's been so vocal and has been the face of the PGA Tour, I think we also have to remind ourselves of the disappointments that we've seen in major championships. And so whether he had won or lost, what he did on Sunday was incredible. I mean, to miss the putt on 16, which was really the last birdie opportunity, and then step up there in the toughest of conditions all day in birdie 17 and 18 and deny Scottish fans their own son, Bobby McIntyre, winning that tournament, I think was a complete, was an amazing finish. Don't get me wrong, but I think we have to then kind of slip back into the logical reality. And that is his expectations are, are much greater this week. And even though he won last week, he's still not necessarily playing the best golf in the world over the last couple of months. That's Scotty Scheffler. And then 
I think him not being in the field last week, him being John Rahm, we sort of forget him in this recency bias thing. So, no, I don't believe Rory is the favorite this week, but I think Sunday very easily makes people think that he should be. All right, so with that, we'll talk about the other individuals matter moments, but I, I'm committed to the cardinal sin. Normally when it comes to talking about the Open Championship, the first question is, is it St. Andrews or not? This is the one of the years that it's not. So tell us about the – uh-oh. Apparently, he didn't want me talking about the the, the, the courses. I, I didn't follow the script because Will hung up on me. Will didn't hang up on me. The phone went bye-bye. It happens sometimes. I thought I was asking a good question. Will or Will's phone did not. So the question I was asking was, it's not a St. Andrews major. So tell us about Royal Liverpool. Tell us about this member of the Rota, and I have successfully tap danced enough until Will got back on the program. Did you not like my question? I, I, I have no idea what happened there. <laughs> um, I guess must have lost you on the uh, the telegraph pole there across the ocean. Um, no, I'm in I'm in India. I'm not in Scotland. Yes. Scotland or England. We're in England this time around. Yep. Uh, Liverpool, the town, Hoylake, the the I guess the the local term for Royal, Royal Liverpool, Liverpool yep. is the official name of the golf course. I missed the second half of your question, but yes, this is part of the Rota. It's been a while since since 2014 we've been at Royal Liverpool, and I, I will now yield back to what the full question. So basically, I, I think most everybody that is a casual golf fan, you know, there there are the three most famous golf courses in the world because we see them all the time. It's Augusta National, it's Pebble Beach, it's St Andrews. Those are the ones. Even the most casual fan go, "Yep, road hole. Yep, first and 18. Yeah, I got it." What makes this course unique at Hoy Lake? You know, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think when you look through the years, any Open Championship is unique because of of the weather and the way that it was played. This was famously the spot where Tiger Woods won in 2006, when right after it was two months after I think his dad Earl had passed away, and that was the year that it was baked out and it was firmer than my dining room table and <laughs> probably browner than my dining room table. Uh, as uh, that was legendary where Tiger hit one driver on Thursday and then said, I don't need driver the rest of the week. And then it was a completely different golf course in 2014 when they had rains. We actually played early on Saturday, nine years ago, and it's going to look a lot similar to that. Um, but I, I guess, you know, compared to, you know, Carnoustie kind of has the burn and the, and the gorse and some of those names that we hear every year with the open championship, St. Andrews, as you mentioned, having, so many of the, the famous sort of moments, I wouldn't say that there's an architectural element to this golf course that lends itself to as much memory. It's more the tournaments themselves that have, that have hosted this tournament. Like Hoylake, I think is just more known for some of those championships, the most recent ones that we also talked about. And keep in mind, when we came back in 2006 for Tigers, it had been nearly 40 years since the last Open was hosted at this golf course. So we don't really have a lot of those modern sort of memories um, I mean, unless, you know, you love Roberto DiVincenzo's win in, 2000, in 1967 <laughs> over Jack Nicholas. So we don't have a lot of that kind of built in of waking up early on Saturdays and Sundays in our generation or the generation before and getting to know this golf course. So I will say this, maybe this is the year where this golf course invents something you remember because they've completely redone the 17th hole. It is tiny, but the green is a tabletop and there are some just massive revetted faced bunkers off the side that, Guys in practice rounds, there's a lot of video on social media of guys practicing very creative ways to try and get out of these bunkers. I think John Rahm was the one that was asked if it's a fair golf hole, and he had a great sort of cheeky response, and it was, well, if it's unfair for everybody, then I guess it makes it fair, or <laughs> something like that. 
So I think 17 might actually end up in a sandwich in between two par five. So you've got two holes where guys can make scores and then a tiny little par three that may end up giving us fives or sixes or Thomas Bjorn type moments when he's lost in the bunker for a couple of shots trying to win down the stretch. So in a long sort of winded way, no, there isn't something that I say you point to this golf course and say, yes, that's its signature other than it being a true link style course. But maybe this year, the par three seventeenth becomes that memory that in future Hoy Lake open championships, we're like, Oh man, remember 17 and what it did to that guy. We'll take a look at it again this year. For all of these guys, it, it is the most important major because it's the next major. It's the most important tournament because it's the next tournament. Yep. If we were having an, an, an honesty index in terms of the importance of the golf majors. Is it Masters won this two U.S. Open three across the globe? In this country, you would think it would be Masters won U.S. Open two, Open Championship three. Where does this fit on, uh, I hate to phrase Mount Rushmore, but it's a four-event cycle. We all kind of think of the PGA as fourth. Where does this one fit in? Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's unfair to the fine folks that run a, a great championship with the PGA. But I think it's pretty obvious that that one is fourth on anybody's priority list of which ones they would want to win, unless maybe you're a Justin Thomas and you're a third generation PGA professional, and, and the meaning that comes with, you know, working in that business. Sure. I do think it has a lot to do with yeah, where you're born, where you're from, are you European, are you American. The Masters is an interesting one. I think it has so much modern lore, and because it's a golf course that's the only really it's the only major that's played on the same golf course every year, that in and of itself and its history makes it super special. But I think you'd hear a lot of players that would say if they're English or Scottish or even Spanish that the Open Championship is their number one, and then maybe the Masters U.S. Open in some order. And there are plenty of Americans who I think would say that the U.S. Open is their one because it truly is open. The field is bigger. The field is stronger. The qualification process is harder for guys to play their way sort of into it. Um, So, again, I think it's very much geographical how you fit into it and kind of stylistically what type of golf you want to see. I mean, we can see carnage at the Open Championship, but if the wind lays down, and there's been some rain, you can see some good scoring, unlike, say, a U.S. Open, which is typically set up every year to just pummel guys into submission with the way the USGA sets up a golf course. So uh, I guess it's me kind of dancing around the question because I think it's a very subjective answer in terms of who you talk to and even how our audience would listen to it. There are a lot of purists out there who will say that this week is their favorite championship because it forces guys to hit golf shots. It asks different questions to steal a – a phrase for some of the golf purists out there like this week should ask more questions of a golfer's skill than a lot of other golf tournaments. So many view this week as the purest and best historic test and championship in all of golf. Will Haskett, Sirius XM PGH Radio, obviously frequent contributor on this radio program, joining us here on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, even though Rory hasn't won in nine years in a major, which I still find fascinating, um, yep. you know, I still put him in, in in the top group that's in contention for it. Obviously, Scheffler and Rom, you know, check in with them. If you look at the World Golf Rankings, there you go. It, it's those guys that are a top three. Yes. Uh, of 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 the of everybody else, who's the name we should be talking about the most outside of those big three? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of guys that are playing really good golf. Obviously, Cameron Smith is defending champion. And with what Live Golf has done to sort of take some of those Live Golfers, I think, out of the con- the weekly conversation in professional golf and the way that we sort of question the merits of what those tournaments mean in terms of measuring how good they are, 
Cameron Smith admitted at the Masters this year that the financial freedom of Liv coupled with him winning this championship, the Open Championship last year, sort of just sent him into a get fat and happy party place for a few months, and he was just not focused on being the best golfer that he could be. And he has steadily sort of gotten better and better, even through the majors this season, to this point to defend. And he said when he arrived on property and had to give the clear at Jug back, he doesn't want to give it back. So I would say of top 10 guys in the world, an important week for him. Obviously, Brooks Kepka won the PGA Championship earlier this year. He's number three in the Ryder Cup standings, which he's only getting points for when he plays in major championships. So if he plays well this week, he could lock up a spot on points in the Ryder Cup. I think he's on the team no matter what, but there's a lot more politics involved if he isn't in the top six when they cut that thing off coming up in a month and a half or so. Uh, so those are these sort of names that are on the fringe. But, I mean, honestly, Greg, it's the top three in the world. And then if somebody else wins from the rest, fine. But everybody's expecting or maybe everybody's ex- or hoping that either Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, or John Rahm are in contention because they are the three best golfers in the sport. And it's really not close, although you can make the Brooks Kepka argument in big tournaments like this one. Um, while I think that there are some great guys – out of those top three this week, I'm particularly fond of Victor Hovland, the way he drives the golf ball. You know, it's a home game for Tommy Fleetwood. Right. He's trying to become the first Englishman to win this. I really like Tommy in this tournament, too. Um, can he get over, I think, a lot of the expectations that come with, you know, with that, with having to answer all the questions this week about it? I think that that's, uh, that's another guy to watch. So those are the, my guys I was just looking at in terms of a short list. Uh, maybe even a Tyrrell Hatton who's been playing well. All right, a couple quick things, and then we'll let you go. And let's talk about the local guy. I'm not sure that uh, Adam Shank's going to be in contention to win it, but he's 22nd in the FedEx Cup. Dude's top 50 in the world at this yep. point, and he's got five top 10s this year. For those who don't know, Adam played at Purdue and is from Knox County. So from the Vincennes area, what has he done while he's not won yet He's come close. He's been run up a couple of times. What has he done to get himself to where he is now qualifying for majors automatically on a regular basis? Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question because I've been with Adam a couple of times this year, almost got him across the line for that first win. He's been so close in a couple of tournaments. And he and his wife, Courtney, I mean, they, they're back. They're in the Vincennes area permanently now and just had their first child. And it has been the best season of his career by far. And the, the, this is a non-answer, but I think it's a great answer. Is There isn't one thing, Greg, that I can specifically point to and say, this is why he's become a top 30 player on the PGA Tour this season and a top 50 player in the world. He has just steadily gotten better at every aspect. Now, he's, he's farm strong. I mean, he's country strong. He's a big guy. He really moves it off the tee. That certainly always helps. But putting, his iron game, everything has just gotten a fraction better. And when all of that sort of pulls along, when you see that growth as a professional, that has to be so gratifying. And I haven't really gotten in the weeds and talked to him specifically about some of those things, but you know, we have been able to just sort of chat at, at the end of some of these rounds. And I know he's put the work in, and he's in just a happy place, you know, to be sort of back home where it's comfortable. I mean, if you don't know – so he grew up on a sod farm. So his, <laughs> his family farm literally makes grass that they sell to golf courses. And when he was a little kid, he maintained his own little piece of grass, like learned the family trade and made his own piece of grass that he practiced off of. And he still maintains it to this day. He still practices, you know, he hits balls and I, I guess he has to go shag him himself, but you know, he'll just kind of go do that, which is such a fun story. 
uh, for those of us here in Indiana, and then was splitting time and had a condo in Florida and come back a little bit, and they finally just sort of committed to uh, to being up here and making the commute to Indianapolis International from you know the southwestern side of the state uh, whenever he travels to, on on the PGA Tour. But yeah, it's, it's a cool story. Uh, he's done everything but win this year. Will he contend this week? Probably not. Sure. I mean, it's it's a big it's a big field. But if I wake up tomorrow morning and you know I'm preparing for our our post round coverage tomorrow on Sirius XM and his name's on the first couple of pages of the leaderboard, I won't be surprised because he's played really darn good golf this year. And now, if I think of someone in golf that makes their own grass, I'll have somebody other, somebody else other to think about than Carl Spackler. So I appreciate that <laughs> yeah. uh, being the case. And finally, before we let you go, we are now 15 minutes into a golf conversation, and you mentioned live as in where Cam Smith plays. But I haven't asked you about Liv until now. So clearly we're making progress on this front. Has there been anything new kind of behind the scenes that you've caught wind of that you're willing to share with with the class, so to speak, as as a a merger, a detente, something along those lines seems to keep kind of moving along towards 2024 and beyond? No, I'd like to thank many of the gas bags in Congress for sort of just sucking oh my all goodness. the air out of this story. I mean, they, just, they honestly did, Greg. I think that that comedy. I, I, I happen to be randomly. I'm sorry oh. to jump in. I happen to be randomly yeah. watching his flipping and saw it like on C-SPAN. I was home one night last week. Oh my god! Oh yeah, dear I mean, lord! Anyway, please continue. Well, I, I think it actually helped because it illuminated how little fact we really had. And um, I tried to go on a, a rant this week on social media because PGA Tour players, some of them are you know feeling up, upset because it's a member-run organization. Well, any of us that are part of member-run organizations, fraternal organizations, or right. any of those things, it's like the day-to-day operations, you don't go to every single member of a member organization and tell them what's happening in the home office or whatever is sort of that. And so where we are in this whole process is that very, very tiny little framework agreement. But what's actually going to take place has not been agreed upon. You know, lawyers for both sides are still hammering out details and contracts and how things are going to be structured and what schedules are going to look like. And from that point forward, from the original agreement till now, we really haven't learned a whole lot. One or two things came out in discovery with those congressional hearings, mainly the biggest one being that, you know, Greg Norman was Supposed to there's an agreement that never was actually signed, but that he would be fired once they agreed on the full agreement. And who knows if that's going to happen. So, no, nothing's really happened. And I honestly think that that was such a painful exercise in hammering questions without any answers that it, at least to the media sort of cycle, it just reinforced and hammered home the point that, oh, yeah, we don't have anything to talk about because there actually isn't an agreement yet. They only agreed to stop suing each other. That's the only <laughs> thing. That's it. Like, we will stop the litigation against one another. And we'll go to the table and we'll figure out what this new thing looks like. Well, they're still at the table. So nothing's leaking out of those table meetings right now. And so we wait and we see. But I will say this. I do think it's just kind of has ended everything in a lot of the back and forth and the, you know, the hammering of, of opinions and stuff is that I think we realize that there's going to be some sort of resolution. We don't know what it's going to look like, but it's really taken a lot of the grandstanding out of both sides of this, which is really good this week because – there isn't as much of this sideshow of, oh, this guy plays where and this guy plays here. No, we're just going to roll the balls out there and see what happens. As always, my friend, a pleasure. Are you like cashing out at like 630 tonight? You can wake up at 130 and watch every tee shot tomorrow? 
No, I think I'll uh, I think I'll get up at a normal time and, and get <laughs> caught up to speed. I'm not on the air until the coverage because of all the daylight there. I'm not on until two o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So I feel like a normal wake up time tomorrow. I'll have enough time to get an idea of what happened in the opening round. But yeah, not a full sycophant when it comes to. Uh, first tee balls in the air at one thirty-five, I think, a.m. Eastern time. So yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be well rested. We are not as you and I head towards the Champions Tour. We are not of that age, uh, my friend. As no. always, thank you for the time and the insight. We'll do it again soon. Hey, no one's talking John Rom enough. I'm just telling you right now, John Rom. John Rom. Put it out there. I'm on the record this week. John Rom. Yeah. So says Will yeah. Haskett. So saith the flock. Thank you very much. Uh, Will Haskett joining us. We're going to break a little bit early because I got more guests coming. I think in the next segment of the show, guests who won a basketball game this afternoon. How about that? 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. As always, thank you very much to Jimmy Cook for the hard work that he does. There will be a Jay Cook play of the day coming up in the next segment of the show. But it won't be the Fever Mystics game because that's already happened. The Fever win and snap an eight-game winning streak. They beat the Mystics by a score of 82-76. to And I believe I have not one but two all-star players joining me on the show right now. That would be Kelsey Mitchell and Aaliyah Boston. Ladies, how we doing? Good. How are you? How are you? I'm doing fine. And and first things first, congratulations on the win. I, I guess I will defer to Kelsey here first, as she had the high point total, 18 points. Had to feel good to be back in the W column, right? Uh, I felt really good. Um, we've been practicing really, really aggressively. So to see us come out on the, on the different side of things is really fun today. Do you like these these midday games? You tend to get a younger crowd. Obviously, it lets you get back to Indy quicker. It's, it's it, it gives you your <laughs> evening back. Is it something, Kelsey, you guys kind of get used to at this point? Yeah, kind of so. We actually kind of love these games so we can try to get a, a, a decent day for the rest of the day for ourselves. So it was good to play, get a win, and go home now. All right, Aaliyah, it's my first chance to have a chance to talk with you. First of all, welcome to Indianapolis. Uh, I know it's Thank been kind you. of a whirlwind these last two or three months. How has Indy been treating you so far? It's been great. I love it. I'm, I'm loving every second of it. Um, obviously, you, you kind of knew, and one of the rare athletes to know, hey, whoever gets that number one pick, I know that's where I'm going. That's how this process was going to play out. When you saw the Fever got that number one spot in the lottery, what was kind of your immediate reaction knowing you were going to be playing here? Yeah, I mean, I was excited. I love that there was a new coaching staff, um, and I was just super excited to get started if they were to pick me. So, Kelsey, you have got so many youngsters around you. This is such a young team with, with recent draft picks and so many draft picks in this group. What sort of energy does that bring to you and your teammates? Um, it's, a really good, it's a really good culture to be around. Um, we have raw, like you said, raw young talent. Um, but more importantly, we have people that, um, for one, want to compete at the high level. But also, we have really good character people on our team. And so it helps for a good, better atmosphere. Uh, Aaliyah, obviously there is so much that is expected of you uh, as being a number one pick. But did you even surprise yourself to some degree by being named an all-star as a rookie? Um, yeah, I mean, that was definitely not something that I expected right away, but I mean, it's a blessing. I just feel like I've put in a lot of work and God just opened this door. Well, um, what was that experience like for you? And, and Kelsey, I'll get back to you on, on that front in a second, but literally you just lived it over the course of the last three or four days. What was your first all-star weekend like as a player? Yeah, um, it was exciting. It was a lot of fun. Um, got to talk to a lot of players that 
um, I don't really get to, but my family was able to come out to Vegas, and so it was really nice to have them there for the entire the entire weekend. A lot of times, you know, when when you're a youngster doing something well in profession. A lot of the old heads, a lot of the veterans will kind of make it a point to come up and talk to you and offer some advice or offer an award, a word of encouragement. Did you have some conversations like that over the course of the last few days? Yeah, um, just from a little bit from everyone, honestly, at any moment that they had, any questions I had, they answered it um, and was happy to, and then they were able to give me any pointers. Kelsey, what was your all-star experience like this weekend? Um, it was really, really busy, honestly. Um, we kept ourselves busy. Um, but it felt really good kind of getting to know um, the rest of the ladies that were all-stars. Um, I enjoyed the summer league. I got a chance to do that. Um, and so for me, it was just about taking in the experience for what it was supposed to be. Obviously, Kelsey, this has been, you know, it's a franchise that historically has been great. It's one that has been on lean times over the last several years. While the record isn't great at 6-15, and 15, I think everybody kind of thinks, hey, there is there's some positive traction here when you have the number one pick, when you have other talented young players. Kelsey, I guess kind of your thoughts just on the direction that you and your teammates are heading right now with the Fever. Um, the record is the record, but um, we as a group, our team and like as a whole know where we're going with this. And we know there's a lot of to sacrifice. And I think with our group, we got a chance to keep making strides. That's going to change the game forever. Again, Kelsey Mitchell, Aaliyah Boston, kind of to join us just after beating the Washington Mystics by a score of 82-76. to 76. It is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, for, you know, a lot of whether it's your freshman year in high school, freshman year in college, now first year as a pro, a lot of folks will say that the game flies by so fast or it's like, you know, kind of drinking from a fire hose. Aaliyah, what has that process been like for you? I mean, you literally go from playing in a in a Final Four in April to playing in the WNBA in May. What has that transition been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's super fast. Um, you can't really prepare for it, even though you know it's it's coming. So it's kind of just taking every day by day, um, but also giving yourself grace to be able to adjust to the professional life, all the time you have, the type of game that it is. Um, but it's, it's definitely a quick process. Um, once you get drafted, it's like everything goes like the blink of an eye. What's the uh, what is the biggest difference? I realize the players are all better; they're all pros. I get that. Um, in terms of the game itself, what's the bigger diff- biggest difference going from a place like South Carolina, where you play at such a high level, to now playing in the WNBA overnight? Yeah, I mean, I just think the physicality. Um, just like you said, these, these women are older um, and they're stronger. So I definitely think just being able to adjust to that quickly um, is always going to be a positive for any rookie coming into the league just because you can't really prepare for it until you've played a couple games and really been able to adjust that way. All right, Kelsey. Uh, you know, in the double, in the NBA, I think of, you know, guys are asked to bring donuts that are rookies. you got to wear, like, a certain backpack <laughs> as a rookie. What sort of – with having so many rookies on the team, what sort of rookie tasks are you having Aaliyah and her fellow – first-year players, what do they got to do it for practice every day? <laughs> Honestly, man, nothing. We don't make them do anything. Aaliyah will tell you the truth, right, Aaliyah? Absolutely. Great, great vets, great vets. Hear that? You hear that? A- Aaliyah, you got it easy. <laughs> I love it. With, with, with that being the case, um, all right, and, and Kelsey, I'll go back to you on this. Where do you go from here? You, you, you just snapped a losing streak that, that predated the All-Star break. Now with being 6-15, and 15, what do you do for kind of this this final finishing kick of the season, these next 13 or so games? Um, I think individually for myself, and I'll speak for, for our team, um, this is about doing the work. Whatever the work requires, let's just do basketball, let's play basketball, whatever comes with that, and just focus on, you know, making that sacrifice about being, trying to be in the conversation for the playoffs. 
Aaliyah, what sort of what are your favorite kind of spots in town? Being new to town, and again, you've been so busy with basketball. What are some places when you do have a little time to go hang? What are, what are the hang spots in Indianapolis? Oh, uh, I mean, I'm a homebody, but when it comes to, like, food, there's a Caribbean spot that I really like. I think it's called Caribbean Style Jerk. Okay. Uh, it's pretty good. All right. Kelsey, any, any recommendations you've got for your young teammates on, on, on a front like that? In Indianapolis? Yeah. Uh, Grubhouse. Go to a place called the Grubhouse. The Grub House is amazing. It's off college ads. Yep, I know it well. All right, I'll, I'll, I will look for both of you there at some point in time. Ladies, I know you're traveling. Get ready to head back to the airport. We'll let you go. Thanks for the time. Congratulations on making the WNBA All-Star Game, and go enjoy that victory. Congrats on today's dub. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, thanks for giving us a chance to talk to you. You got it, of course. Kelsey Mitchell and Aaliyah Boston representing the Indiana Fever in the WNBA All-Star Game this past weekend. Thanks to Ryan Stevens, uh, who heads up PR for the Indiana Fever. And again, congratulations to those ladies for getting a victory. Now, um, it's going to be a little while before you can see them back at Gamebridge Fieldhouse because they are on the road. They're actually off until Sunday and they play at the New York Liberty, and they've got a couple of games out west in L.A. next week. The next time that the Indiana Fever will be at home at Gamebridge Fieldhouse will not be until a week from Sunday, July 30th, is when you can check out the Indiana Fever in action as they play host to the Seattle Storm. Again, the overall record is now 6-15. and Obviously, that is still a bit of a work in progress. Uh, there were a, a bunch of wins early in the year, um, not so much late, but hey, the streak is over. They got a dub after winning in D.C. earlier this afternoon. We'll take this quick time out. When we come back, we'll have an extended final segment of the show. We'll try to make sense of everything that we did today, cover anything that we missed, and Jay Cook is going to make you some money. It is the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back for the final time today, final time for me this week. You will hear me on Saturday morning here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan for Soccer Saturday, and obviously a big focus of what we'll be talking about on that program will be women's soccer with the Indy 11 uh, playing in the W League Championship game against North Carolina Courage's U23 squad. 2 o'clock, you can get your tickets, 317-685-1100, Indy11.com. You'll hear the Addie Chester interview from earlier today. You can go back and catch on the podcast page at 1075thefan.com. You'll probably hear that on uh, Saturday morning. You'll probably hear the interview with Grace Barr on Monday during the uh, ride with JMV when I was filling in. We'll talk about the Women's World Cup, obviously in the 11 men playing on Saturday night as well. That is all coming up later this week for me. What is coming up right now for you is your chance to make some money. Hit it, James. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, we're going to take the Seattle Mariners to one of the money line over the Minnesota Twins. That takes place around 940 tonight. 707, going to take the Los Angeles Angels, a plus 120 over the New York Yankees. And at 337, just about a half hour after this show, lay one and a half on the run line for the Boston Red Sox as they take on the Oakland Athletics. Two and one yesterday, four, two and one on the week. Those are the plays of the day. James, will you be wagering any golf over the course of this weekend, or are you not someone that puts down a wager on golf because there are so many potential winners i will take a little bit of a look later tonight i'll probably shoot another text to our friend will haskett um my favorite is live betting golf because even though 
your best lottery ticket odds, because much like betting on the Indy 500, all the odds are crazy on a Thursday. I'm okay with sacrificing a little bit for like plus 240 for somebody after we've gone through the first three rounds of a tournament. All right, so to that point, I happen to bring this up. This is from the folks at Bodog. In terms of women's World Cup odds, with the World Cup starting overnight here in the States tonight, you want to guess what the, the Americans are the favorite. Not a surprise. You want to guess from a plus standpoint what they'd be getting for 100 bucks? It is plus. It is plus, yes. Because, again, they're the favorite, but they're not the unquestionable, oh, my God, there's no way anybody else will beat them favorite. 120. 250. Mm, wow. So a little okay. more a little more of an, of an open field than you might expect. England and Spain coming at plus 450. Germany is plus 800. Australia plus 1,000. France plus 1,100. Canada plus 3,500. New Zealand plus 25,000. So the Kiwis not thought to have the, the greatest of chances uh, of being one of the two host nations of the Women's World Cup. Um, I won't be getting up at I won't be getting up like Will Haskett at one thirty to watch the Open Championship. Maybe I might give it like a six thirty viewing tomorrow morning. I also will not be staying up or getting up at three a.m. to watch a Women's World Cup match. Thankfully, the first two American matches in the tournament will both be at nine o'clock Eastern time. Now that's a time that I can get down with. That kind of fits my schedule right now. Uh, in case you missed it, here's the guest list as it played out today. Bob Kravitz, you know him from The Star, from Channel 13, from The Athletic. Uh, he's going to go it of his own accord, bobkravitz.substack.com. Uh, his first piece will be out tomorrow. Uh, it will soon morph into a subscription site because that's how independent journalists get paid. But Bob, join us in the program. I'm happy to help spread the word about that effort during the 12 o'clock hour. You heard me reference Addie Chester. Join us during the 1 o'clock hour of the program. Austin Taylor of the City League was with us on the show today. Austin uh, created that league now seven years ago. They play Wednesdays and Thursdays at the Bonner Center downtown Indianapolis on the campus of Tech. I love that campus, by the way. Huge fan of the gym, huge fan of the fitness center. And I'm a big fan of the price in which it costs you to go watch these games. Absolutely stinking free is the cost to go watch that action in the City League. Uh, Will Haskett join us, talk all things Open Championship. And again, the, the uh, I'm always partial to the local players that are playing in the event. And, you know, it's it's been a while kind of like an American man winning a, a Grand Slam tennis tournament. It's been a while since we had a kind of a guy with a local tie, you know, be in contention for a major. And I'm not saying it's going to be him this week, but I thought it was worth pointing out because I because I was as I was watching the Midwestern major a couple of weeks ago in which Adam Shank didn't factor into the end of the championship, but I think finished T4 or T5 and he's getting some run on a Sunday afternoon. Because obviously on the PGA Tour, you know they'll flash exactly where you are in terms of the FedEx Cup standings. And he was 19th at the time. He's 22nd now. Top 50 in the world golf rankings. And the dude, I, I, I forgive me, I forget which knocks he went to. I forget if it's north or south. Because hometown's Vincennes. He went to one of the two county schools. And I forget which one, so I apologize for that. But I'm like, that's really cool. That small town guy 
from Southwest Indiana is in the top 50 in the world golf rankings. So I'll look up and see exactly from his tee time standpoint when you kind of check him out. I think for him, you make the weekend, you make sure you get a paycheck, uh, then you kind of take it from there in terms of this major championship experience. And again, just had Aliyah Austin and Kelsey Mitchell in the program talking about the uh, fever victory. Jimmy, anything else of importance from a topic standpoint that I have neglected to mention on the show today? What am I leaving out? Have I properly spanned the gamut of everything happening in sports before the dawn of training camp coming up now in six days. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you and Bob hit on where the ramifications are potentially from everything that Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard and Saquon Barkley went through over the last couple of days with the franchise tag and, and I'm, Jonathan Taylor. And I'm very curious as to what that looks like for Jonathan Taylor. If he draws a line of demarcation knowing he's still in his rookie deal. In other words, this is not this is not like the um, you know Pollard's already signed the franchise tag, so he's he's going to be playing with it. But Jacobs and Barkley have not. Jonathan Taylor is in year number four as a second round pick. Mm-hmm. It's only a four year deal. There's not a fifth year. So because of that, does he treat it any differently, or does he say I'm a year away from the end of my current contract? This is the action I have to take. And I, mean, I, I, I know him through sound bites, but, you know, we've never, it's not been at a point in his career we've had to see him negotiate for a contract. So I don't know what his tact is going to be. I want to see him in camp. I think it's better for everybody. But at the same time, dude's not going to play in a game till September the 10th. He's, he's, he's not going to be a part of, of, of any sort of preseason games. I never worry about him taking care of his body. He's going to get beaten up. It's because of what running backs do. It's why we, don't, why we didn't see him as much last year as we saw him in 2021. So training camp is always best. If he misses a few days in training camp, I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, and at the same time, I also think the Colts are going to be more willing to actually pay him not stupid money compared to what everybody else is asking for. You know, the the average franchise tag now for a running back is $10 million. I think the Colts will pay him, whether it's this year or next, I think they'll pay him a two- to three-year deal for more than than $10 million a year. You have got this five-year window where you think you have a quarterback on largely a minimal deal. And now the difference in the rookie wage scale between what the top flight quarterbacks make, we're talking about like 10 to 15%. It's insane. So, and again, because of kind of more of a tradition, you know, like old school football under Chris Ballard, because of the way that Jim Irsay always takes care of his top guys, I, I think I, I think the Colts are willing to pay more than market value. I honestly do. I think they'll do it for a shorter period of time. And if you're Jonathan Taylor, does that period of time begin now? Or, you know, are, are, are you going to sit out and make a statement? I honestly, and maybe this is me being foolish, but I think because of how I expect the Colts to handle this, 
if there is some sort of 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 statement or not being at the start of camp, I don't know if it gets that because I do expect the Colts to kind of take care of business. There's always a contract extension for somebody on the Colts at the precipice of training camp. Braden Smith, Shaquille Leonard, Quentin Nelson, guys get taken care of at the end of July. Guys get get generational life-changing by the end of July. And I do think the Colts will pay over market value. It's just that market value is sometimes you're born at the wrong time. And if you think that's mean, you have a group text about it. Hey, I'm sorry, man. The song used to be Mom and Don't Let Your Baby Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Now it's Don't Let Them Grow Up to Be Running Backs. You, you, you're going to make less money than the wide receiver. You're going to make less money than the quarterback. You're going to make less money than the left tackle. You're going to make less money than the defensive end. You might make less than the cornerback does. It's just kind of how modern football is valued and played. Your thoughts on the subject, Mr. Cook? For me, it all comes down to how much money he really wants or if it's a guaranteed money thing that he wants because I agree there's a pay raise that's going to come. He'll make more than the tag, but you have a guy like Derrick Henry who's making $12.5 million a year, and I know all running backs, why they were all on Twitter getting angry and upset, are mad at the discrepancy between wide receivers of two or three on the depth chart caliber versus what a star running back makes. But for the Colts, for me, uh, spending a little more money – would be $13 million, maybe $14 million right. a year. That's what I kind of think it will be, yes. If he wants more than that, if he wants Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara running, I don't know that that's going to come from Chris Ballard. And if it doesn't, what's his play? Does he hold out now? Right. Does he wait until next year when it's a contract year and the tag's on the table? I'm fascinated to see what he actually decides to do. I think the tag, again, I, I do think there is an important clear, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to speak for Jonathan Taylor here. I do think there is a difference to being on your last year of your rookie deal versus saying, I'm upset that you franchise tagged me. I'm not coming in. And let's face it, if you're really good as a second, third, or fourth round pick, you actually are in a better spot than if you're really good as a first round pick because you you will make more money in your fifth year but it's still not what you would make if you hit the open market in free agency. Because both Michael Pittman and Jonathan Dealer were second-round picks. They get a payday a year earlier than other guys would. So I, I do think that there is a difference there. Um, but what I would also tell Jonathan Taylor is in comparison to Alvin Kamara and comparison to Christian McCaffrey, and whether it's the back's fault, whether it's the offense's fault, Having a rotating door quarterback doesn't help, but those two players have done more in the passing game than Jonathan Taylor has. And that was kind of a concern of him coming out of Wisconsin because it was such a run-heavy offense. Again, I, I think JT could be used better as a receiving running back out of the backfield. I think that's more a bit more of a scheme issue for the Colts than it has been what Jonathan Taylor can or cannot do. Um, but again... We're largely singing from the same hymnal here. I think the Colts will pay over market value. And I don't know if a holdout or a dispute would be as contentious because he's just entering year number four. This may be a preview of coming attractions for a year from now. And we're being speculative about this. Um, It could come to a head in the next several days. We don't know. But I do think the Colts are willing to pay him 
more than market value. The it, fa- is that going to be enough? That's f- that's the literally the multi-million dollar question. And honestly, because of because of his his age, I mean, willing to give him some guarantee, I would be. I, I think he's earned that. So go ahead. The fact that, and again, I'm not, and I stressed this the other day too. I'm not painting the Colts or Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley, the Giants, right. as villains or heroes in any of this. He has every right to fight for what he deserves. The fact that he's engaging on Twitter with the rest of the running backs right now tells me he knows the opportunity that's in front of him to sure. maybe make a difference in the way running back conversations happen, at least in his mind. And even though it's different in terms of being on the tag versus having one more year, at the end of the day, both Saquon, Josh Jacobs, and Jonathan Taylor were all fighting for what they feel is a pay increase they deserve. Yep. Is this a two-year battle? Is it a two-week battle? Right. That's what really comes down to Jonathan Taylor and what the Colts end up doing. And again, the end of July is a big deal until you get the end of August. And the start of August is a big deal, and you realize it's being September that's a very much big deal. Okay. Uh, we, we talk about what's right in front of our face uh, in, in, in all aspects of life, but especially in this one. Again, I, I would like him to be in camp on August the 10th. I am much more concerned with him being in uniform and ready to go on September the 10th. And something, you know, missing some training camp time, BFD. All right. Missing regular season time is now a completely different conversation. And again, the guy that always gets cited is Le'Veon Bell. And please tell, I'm sure I can look it up on Pro Football Reference, but please tell me what his career was like after he missed significant time for the Steelers. Fell off a cliff, got a payday from the Jets, but was waived after two years. Lost $14 million because he did not sign a tag. Tank. So, in other words, I hope that is... I understand guys feel they're getting the short end of the deal here. I get it. But those that do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. What You want to miss some training camp time for some leverage? Understood. You miss regular season time. Now you're losing game checks. And there's no way to replicate what your results show in a game to potentially get you paid going down the road. So again, this is all speculation. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it could happen. I'm saying I don't think it's going to happen. But you have to acknowledge this. Final thing before I I exit stage left, just because I saw this from motorsport.com. Remember when Kyle Kirkwood's wheel went flying at the Indianapolis 500? And we were all stunned, and people in the turn two seats were looking at, is that a flying saucer? No, that's a wheel. And we can kind of have a joking conversation about it because of where the wheel exited the track, and it just damaged somebody somebody's car, and that wonderful lady and Robin Matthews got a free car out of it. Everybody was happy. But, man, that situation could have been so much different. Well, the folks at Dolara have updated the wheel hub And all teams will be mandated to use that for the two races at Iowa this weekend. And because of my own lack of technical knowledge, I'll simply give you the terminology. I'll let JMB run with it from here. The updated rear wheel bearing retaining nut is being distributed to all IndyCar entrants. Use will be mandatory. The strength of this part has been increased by 
60% over the previous design. I think we can all get behind a stronger nut. On that note, we bid you a fond farewell. Thanks for putting up with me on this Wednesday afternoon. I have no idea who will be with James the next couple of days. I'm sure they will be fantastic. John comes your way next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.